uh, right now I'm joined by Associate Professor Mark Seymour uh, from the History Department. Uh, which, well, we're, we're talking raw tour of fascist, fascist Africa or Dead Man's White History. I'm loving it. Trademark. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. How are you today, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, that's Lovely very to good. Be with you. Oh, it's great to have you in here. Um, all right, so uh, essentially uh, a lot of your talk is going to be about um, the Italian king's visit to fascist uh, Italian Africa, uh, parts of northern Africa and eastern Africa are colonialized by the, um, by the Italians. Um, but we were saying a little bit off here that that's not necessarily your speciality uh, in history. So uh, while you've got the Royal Tour of Fascist Africa in the title, there's also this dead, man's, dead white man's history, I'm loving it. TM. What do you mean by that? Because well, that's, that's the thing, because like, I saw the Royal t uh, Tour of Fascist Africa and I thought, oh, that's interesting. And then I saw that tacked on at the end and said, okay, either this guy's kooky as all hell, yeah. which a lot of professors are. Yeah. Uh, um, We're or, paid to be kooky. Oh, there's the something else going on. on. Yes. Uh, look, I'll give you a quick bit of background. I am a specialist in modern Italian history. I uh, trained in Australia and the States, and my doctoral thesis sought to bring to light um, marriages in crisis. Italy didn't get a divorce law famously until the late 20th century, and that meant that people who were in bad marriages floundered with no legal uh, Exits. So it was very much a history from below, a social history, a history about people's lives and the sorts of lives that didn't really get registered in the history books mm -hmm. that often. That was all the rage in the 80s and 90s when I trained. I was particularly not a historian of kings and queens and great figures and fascism or anything like that. I very much eschewed that approach to history. So when somebody asked me to write a chapter on royal tours of fascist Africa, I just thought, that's not me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they twisted my arm. <laughs> and I decided, okay, what the heck? And I embarked on uh, a project where uh, I found out that no one else had really looked at King Victor Emmanuel III's tours of the Italian colonies and I thought okay this is this is territory that that needs looking at and to my great amazement I found that I really enjoyed doing it no I felt the guilt that you might uh, <laughs> eat when you have a quick feed of McDonald's it's not really real food it didn't really feel like real history but I loved it yeah yeah and that I was very conscious of enjoying something that I thought was essentially wicked <laughs> So that is why I put that on the end of my talk, because back in the old days, social historians used to call the history of kings and queens dead white men history. They derided it as not real history. So yeah. that's the title um, in one quick snack. But it is all, well, I mean, essentially, that is a lot of the history that we learn, isn't it? Instead of, uh, except for when you go to tertiary education, you, you learn dead white man's history or um, you know I guess there is a lot of um, civil rights as well and a few other things but it's kings and queens uh, or I remember kings queens uh, uprisings in um, Ireland and uh, and that's about it really um, but like you were saying history is all of history it's all of time and there's so much subject matter and the fact that we cover such a narrow path and, and the majority of people only learn a narrow a narrow bit of world history um is a bit sad 
It is a bit. I think huge, huge efforts have been made by professional historians, researchers who are paid to uh, do research by universities to redress that. And I, the idea of traditional history really has now gone out the window. I think we've vanquished it really. Uh, history from below, social history has become quite mainstream. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we may have won that battle and maybe I'm just punching a straw man. Maybe there isn't traditional dead white men history anymore. On the other hand, I think we're a, a bit of a tipping point in world history where suddenly alive white men have become much more visibly the protagonists of what will be history. <laughs> and who knows, there may be a swing back to dead white men history. I don't know. Um, but it is a very interesting tipping point, I think. Mm, indeed. Uh, a Victor, a Victor Emmanuel III, he's dead. Uh, he and he was white. <laughs> So I had no uh, Mussolini. Uh, yeah, yeah, the same. Yeah, exactly. Well, one, I had no idea there was an Italian king in the thirties, uh, and, and two, um, I guess I didn't really even really know much, or, or at all, that Italy had African colonies. I mean, I guess I didn't really think about it because I knew about the the, um, the North African War, um, and I didn't really think stop to think um, who they were going at uh, in those areas because um, we all know about England and Spain's African colonies because of their association with new, the New World slave trade mm -hmm. but um, you know I had no you know, I had no idea about yes. those colonies yeah well look basically from the 1870s we see a scramble for Africa Germany Belgium France Britain they all carved up what was left of the uh, uh, of the colonial world or the world that remained to be colonized and Africa um, Italy which became a nation in 1860 belatedly dropped uh, hopped onto that bandwagon and they acquired sort of possessions holdings protectorates in East Africa the Horn of Africa uh, Abyssinia Ethiopia Somaliland uh, that just on the border of the Red Sea mm -hmm. in the 1890s uh, the Italians went to war against the Ottoman Empire who held parts of Libya in 1911-1912 and they won that and proclaimed their first formal colony but it wasn't really that important to the Italian government's agenda and what I found out is that no head of state of Italy visited any of those colonies and I used that to sort of show that they were not that high on the agenda. It was only with the rise of fascism and Mussolini's pretensions to restore the greatness of the Roman Empire that empire really becomes part of the agenda of, mm -hmm. the, of the Italian government. So in 1935 uh, the fascists went to war against Haile Selassie and Abyssinia uh, and they joined their two possessions of Eritrea and Somaliland and proclaimed an empire, Africa Orientale Italiana, mm -hmm. Eastern Italian Africa. So that was 1936. Yeah, yeah. And it was all gone a few years later. So it was a bit of a flash in the pan, it and that's maybe why you didn't hear very much about it. But they but had they had gone for Ethiopia a couple of times beforehand, though, right? No, they hadn't. No, no. this no, they 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 had sort of staked claims to the territory in a bit the way the sort of British East India Company or the Dutch East India Company, they were private enterprises, but they 
were effectively colonizers. Uh, Italian companies had done that, but the, the war against Ethiopia in 1935 was the first really big push. I mean, why this land grab in the first place? I mean, um, Africa, I guess, well, in the early years was seen valuable for the slave trade, but what were they looking for? What did they want out of yeah. these African colonies? Was it, you know, because I guess around that time there was the, uh, the beginning of the rise of oil. Uh, maybe uh, they were, you know, what, what, what did they want? Yeah. Well, look, Italy has a slightly different uh, historical attitude to empire. I don't know whether it's just window dressing or the truth, but Italy is poor in very basic resources like land and food, mm. and it has a very high population, and it's traditionally been a country of emigration. So politically, gaining what were sold as fertile lands re relatively close to Italy was seen as a safety valve for its, bur uh, for its burgeoning population. Um, it wasn't really, it didn't have, it had a different impulse from, say, British or French colonialism. It wasn't about the booty. It was about uh, finding land for Ital Italy's peasants. So, so it was a garden. Uh, exactly, exactly, and the, and what uh, Italian the sort of the message to Italians was that with a bit of peasant know-how, we will make these <laughs> deserts bloom with wonderful food and wheat and so on. So that that was one bit of rhetoric. The other one, though, I think uh, there are very political reasons for Mussolini to try and conquer an empire because he really did see himself as the inheritor of Augustus's mantle. <laughs> The Romans had done it 15 centuries before, and uh, the fascists were going to do it this time. So it, it became a hugely political mm -hmm. rhetoric. I mean, the Germans, Hitler called his march the East the search for Lebensraum, living space. And in, an, in a, a less ominous way, I think the Italians were also in search of living space. Okay, so, so um, now they've got these areas that control large parts of northeast Africa. Uh, it's time for a visit yes. by the king. Yeah. Uh, um, was well, was fascism forced on the colonists? Uh, yes. Before we get into yes. That, yeah. uh, uh, uh. When you say the colonists, the colonists oh, col were fascists. So, sorry, themselves. not the colonists. Uh, yes. the, 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 the people in the colonies. Yes, the colonists. Yes, absolutely. Goodness me, yes, they were. The indigenous people were. I mean, they put up resistance, but if they did, they were killed. I mean, it was there were. It was a very brutal story. It, it was just like all of uh, colonial exactly, history. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and so, yes, they were uh, forced to fall into line with fascism to march and mm -hmm. to adopt the fascist way of life, whatever that was. So the, the king, the king gets there. Was he revered? But what do the people think of the king? Well, it's always very hard to know what the people think. <laughs> when they're under a, a, a dictatorship. I mean, that, that's a huge question in, in Italian historiography because there really does seem to be massive adulation and support uh, for Mussolini at certain times. And some historians think it's genuine, others think it's contrived and the product of violence. Uh, mm -hmm. Look, what the, the locals, the indigenous people thought of the king is, is fascinating. The thing is, my whole research shows that the king almost acted as an autonomous agent, that he wasn't simply Mussolini's envoy, that he used the colonies in a way to stake his claim to institutional independence. Yeah. 
so I won't say that he sort of betrayed fascism, but when you look at the tours and the way they were choreographed and the sense of royal tradition and so on, there isn't a huge amount about them that is classically fascist. And that's what I find really interesting as a historian. Um, the king was, you know, in his in his own realm of Italy, he was well known to be basically suffocated and overshadowed by Mussolini. Yeah. And I have a feeling that these tours allowed him a place on the stage that he didn't have uh, back in Rome. And I, I really think that he managed to maintain his institutional independence and was ultimately able to sack Mussolini yeah, after yeah. having appointed him in 1922. Uh, and I think in a way that the royal tours gave him his own sense of independence that allowed him ultimately to do that when things went pear-shaped. Because it seemed like he'd, re he'd been planning that for a while, his takedown on Mussolini. I think so. It's, uh, I mean, if it's hard to know what a crowd under fascism thinks, it's also very, very hard <laughs> to find out what the king really thought. Yeah. But... Possibly, yes. I mean, the air had been going out of the fascist balloon for quite some time, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as soon as they entered the war, really. Um, and I think the king was just waiting for his moment. But when uh, the Allies invaded Sicily with absolutely no resistance in July 1943, that was the moment and the king just pounced and sacked Mussolini, as was his constitutional right yeah yeah he called what section five or something Pardon? Yeah. he called section five or something like that i think i read and he's you're out the door you know more than i do yeah. I, I don't know <laughs> you see i don't know things like that <laughs> i just i know the result wikipedia knows yes so um so what, i mean what did, what did he do on his trip what, what, yes. what, what does one do while he was there was he you know did he, does he visit the people did he go down to yes the, to you know to maybe um areas where italians were living and and trying to create this uh, burgeoning uh, blossoming garden in, yes. in africa he did all those things i i mean i was quite surprised by how traditional uh, those tours seem they they reminded me of queen elizabeth's tours of australia and new zealand in, the, the, in the 1950s waving mm -hmm. very ceremonial Things that it, uh, European aristocrats had been doing for at least a hundred years, I'd say. Um, so, visiting the poor, visiting hospitals, giving out money. He gave out a huge amount of charitable uh, money. Um, visiting farms, uh, anointing nascent industries. Uh, going on motorcades. I mean, one thing that I found fascinating was that the they drove in a motorcade of 50 Fiat's through temperatures of 45 degrees for about five solid days with apparently minimal mechanical failures. And so, in a way, he was advertising Italian, <laughs> Italian <laughs> products. I don't think a Fiat even nowadays would be able to, <laughs> to manage it. that. Um, but what he also did were things that were classic aristocratic dead white men pastimes, like go elephant hunting. Of course. Um, and so, in a sense, it's, it's a realm that is just not part of uh, fascism. It's, it's, it's a realm unto itself, and that's what I found 
most interesting. It really surprised me, actually. Well, um, just just quickly before we go, is he was he one of the only heads of state to visit the colonies of um, their realms um, in those times? Mm, in the thirties, quite possibly. I'm not sure, but. Even the, previous to that? Uh, no, no. I mean, royal tours are, are very established. Oh, d definitely, definitely. Yes, but yes. Um, and the, the book that I was asked to contribute this chapter to uh, uh, looks at the royal tours of all the other European monarchs, but it also looks at the royal tours of indigenous monarchs to the metropoles. So it's... it's it's very interesting. Oh, in that so you regard. might be looking at um, some some already chiefs when they yes. to London. Yes, yes, that sort of thing. Yep. That yep. sort of thing. I won't be doing that because it's certainly not my area of expertise. But the book actually covers reverse mm. royal well, doing tours. As when it if were. it's James Belch? No, it's not. No. Uh, the New Zealand <laughs> chapter is being written by Jock Phillips. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. But I don't think it's about Maori tours of of London. Um, which is actually a much more established historical genre uh, in New Zealand, I think, than many other places. I'd say so. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, um, if I can remember correctly, I think the Maori chiefs might have even gone to America and Canada as well, North yes. America. Um, hmm, yeah. Yes. It's an interesting thing to look at the reverse side of the coin. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, mm. All right, brilliant. So, um, yeah. so the talk again, once again, the Royal Tours of Fascist Africa, a royal tour of fascist Africa or dead white man history. I'm loving it. TM. I'm loving the name. Uh, when and where will we be able to see you talk? Oh, gosh. Well, I hope I haven't um, given everything away. I'm talking in Burns 5 tomorrow from 3.30 till 4.30. Brilliant. And it's mm. open to the general public? It is, but there are only uh, limited spaces. <laughs> yeah, all right. So if you've got to leave work to go seats. and see this, get in there quick. Yes. All yes. right, brilliant. Hey, yes. um, Matt, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks okay. for coming in. Thank you for your interest. Brilliant, brilliant. All right, here's uh, just before news.